1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition. Over 125 years ago, the Columbian Exposition was staged in Chicago on Lake Michigan's shoreline. Visitors from around the country and world were first introduced to many industrial technologies and commercial offerings that would shape 20th century culture. This book explores a collection of event photographs and juxtaposes them against a set of modern images to catalog the living remnants in art and architecture around the city as a legacy to the 1893 World's Fair. 1893, Chicago's Columbian Exposition, now available from Amazon. Audiobook version available soon. Hello and welcome to Party Line Chat. My name is Michael Finney. Today we're going to be talking about extended reality and cryptocurrency overlaps. Have a great panel of folks joining the discussion today. If you guys want to introduce yourself and your projects and talk a little bit about your background, uh, anybody interested in go first sure uh the bearded bar daniel delmar here um i'm the founder of vr trend magazine uh physical vr magazine uh, that we ship out worldwide um previously with uh pimax and facebook and high fidelity xr uh, right now just concentrating on the magazine as well as uh doing some work for pluto sphere which is a cloud computing service for vr users All right, cool. Uh, my name's Robert Rice. I'm the CEO of Transmira. <clears throat> We're developing Omniscape, kind of a, a full-stack uh, XR metaverse platform that blends AR and VR together with a strong focus on location and monetization. And that pretty much consumes every waking moment I have. Craft, CEO and futurist at Signal and Cypher. And as of... Uh... Also head of marketing at Update Beverage, uh, new new traffic sparkling wine. Folks, of course, digitally for DD. Oh, you're breaking up a little. Marketing to the metaverse. Yeah, I didn't catch the last part of the. Yeah, I'd say your last. Uh, yeah, sentences kind of broke up. All good. I said, yeah, it is about to, as of about three weeks ago, also the head of marketing at a company called Update Beverage, which is a nootropic sparkling water. And I hope you use some of those uh, future skills in their marketing more to the digital side and, of course, into the metaverse. Um, I'm hoping the interface sounds aren't coming in when I'm unmuting. And, and is, uh, Michael, I changed out the key. Loud and clear. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I should just leave the mic off. Or start toggling it. Um, sweet. So um, my name is Devin Kennedy. I originally was doing producing AR content in this space, um, and on the side, I was doing electrical engineering for a skateboard company that I had started with my own design and everything. And I was like, "What am I doing? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Why don't I just build the headsets if I understand the full stack hardware and full stack software?" So that's the trajectory that I have solved with respect to like a tailspin, it's going well so far. Um, and I understood uh, part of the premise of this conversation was to combine um, crypto. Uh, Michael, correct me if that's wrong. Uh, but yeah, so I'm just doing hardware engineering at this point with respect to XR. Was that everybody? I believe so. Okay, great. Um, well, I think the maybe the person kind of most directly 
connecting crypto with XR would be Robert. He's got a really great project, and they had a, um, I don't know if it was necessarily a debut, but maybe um, a lot of attention recently at an event. Um, a bunch of folks went out to in Florida, Miami area, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. Well, we've done a couple of different things lately, and I guess it's um, there's kind of a mix in here. So, you know, one end with the uh, the stuff we did in Miami, we basically had uh, you know what we call virtual goods or virtual objects, where kind of like a Pokemon Go for brands. So, you know, we had these little 3D tacos and 3D pizzas kind of geolocated all over the area for people to you know find and discover with the app. They could pick them up and collect them. Uh, but then the idea was to drive that traffic over to local businesses um, where they could, you know, redeem the 3D taco or whatever and get an actual, you know, free taco. And kind of the, the, the business model there is, you know, by being able to track everything from that first impression or discovery all the way through to the, the redemption of the transaction, you know, ideally, you know, on-chain, um, kind of gives us the ability to go back to a brand and validate, you know, hey, you spent X dollars on this experiential marketing campaign and we delivered these results to you. So, you know, that ROI there and being able to kind of prove and validate it, I think is huge. And then at the same time, we've done some other, you know, uh, small conference sort of events where, um, you know, conference sponsors had 3D logos instead of, you know, a taco or whatever. Uh, but then those could be picked up, collected, and then that would result in an immediate um, deposit of, you know, whatever cryptocurrency into their the user's wallet. And again, kind of just, you know, I want to say playing around, but really kind of experimenting in terms of, you know, what does it mean to have a 3D object? What does it mean to monetize it or tie it to a real world asset? You know, what does it mean to like, you know, tokenize it and kind of all these things together and really try to get ahead of the curve and understand where, you know, the metaverse is going, where the markets are going and how all these technologies are kind of, you know, interrelate and play together and try to do something that's, uh, you know, sustainable future to, you know, kind of build out the big metaverse vision that we're all thinking of. I think you have to pay a lot of attention to the monetization side and certainly cryptocurrency and blockchain are going to be two very fundamental pieces to that. So can anybody download your app right now and test out what you guys have? Um, yeah, you, you can download it, although it's technically, it's not officially released yet. We kind of did like a special edition version for, for the different events. So, you know, for the one in Miami, that event is over. So, um, no, no more, no more free tacos, uh, and the same thing for the other stuff. So if you do grab our app, you know, you get to play around with a little, you know, 3d alien or a puppy or kind of a unicorn and, and take some fun screenshots. Um, but that's kind of the extent of things right now until we turn on another uh, campaign or activity. Um, but having said that, you know, we're launching a lot of stuff over the summer. I think uh, probably by June 30th or maybe the first week or so of July, we'll be turning on kind of our version of, um, you know, virtual real estate. But then that kind of ties back into later when brands are paying to geolocate these branded objects. We're going to do revenue share with whoever owns those locations. Um, so we've got some other things rolling out in, in August, September. So kind of like a really big launch is probably going to be around October and everything over the summer is really for those, the early adopters or people that kind of want to get in and kind of just poke around with some stuff. Um, so yeah, you can grab the app, but there's not a lot to do with it at the moment. Yeah, definitely. want to play around with it. Um, just since we've been talking for a while, um, hearing about it 
watching it develop, seeing the the people kind of play around with the couple of animated characters and stuff that you guys had for the Bitcoin event was cool. I liked it. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because most of those were, it was just really simple. I mean, they have like idle animations. We didn't even fully fully animate them, but you know, some some really crazy stuff I think is going to be uh, uh, going live probably at the end of July. I think people are going to be really excited about. What kind of business are you seeing uh, quickest to adopt? Um, uh, that's a tough one. So, you know, when you, when you look at metaverse stuff, right. And kind of like the bigger picture, you know, pretty much pick an industry. I mean, I, I could sell this to cemeteries to, to some degree. Um, so one of the struggles we have is that there's use cases all over the place. And, you know, we try to communicate to people, Hey, here's where we think this could be for your business or whatever. You know, investor guys, they either get really excited about it or they're like, Oh my gosh, this is too big for me to wrap my head around. Um, but, but to answer your question, I think, uh, in terms of the low hanging fruit or where people are willing to spend money, uh, brands, certainly 100%. I mean, they're already spending a lot of money with, um, you know, kind of the virtual try on stuff or, or, you know, scan a label and see something. And, you know, we're showing up and saying, Hey, you know, you guys are doing it all wrong. Here's how to really engage people, really drive traffic online or, or, you know, to brick and mortar. Um, and that's, that's starting to get a lot of people to kind of wake up. So we're in the process of trying to do some really large national, you know, campaigns, you know, kind of like we did in Miami with the, the taco and the pizza, but think, uh, you know, multiple national brands, you know, kind of rolling all out, all out at once, um, probably around October and like a massive back to retail, you know, here's the future, uh, sort of campaign. And we're getting a good bit of traction there. So I say it's probably the easiest. And then other areas that we're getting, you know, a lot of these random inquiries from uh, tend to be things like like real estate developers or people that are, you know, trying to, you know, like, you know, hey, our industry is dying. We got to shake things up. And I keep hearing about all this NFT stuff or this uh, metaverse stuff, you know, and, and somebody sent me one of your videos. You know, can you tell me more if we talk about it? So, so yeah, we're fielding a lot of interesting calls from different different markets. But I think marketing agencies, consumer brands, and uh, oddly enough, uh, you know, commercial real estate stuff is really, I think, probably the, the main ones right now. Very cool. You mentioned money to go. Like, there's uh, you're talking about how brands are kind of doing XR wrong in general, and I, <laughs> that could be a conversation in and of itself. But I'm curious, what's the the light bulb moment when you show a prospective brand or customer your product and they're like, okay, I get it now. Um, yeah, yeah, it's usually, it's usually the demo, right? Um, show always beats tell. And, and I don't know how many times I've, I've just batted my head against the wall trying to explain things to people, you know, over a conference call or zoom or whatever. And it's just, you can just see, it's just, you're not sinking in. Once they actually see the demo, then like the light bulbs start going off. But the thing that really gets their attention is, you know, we sit and we talk to them about, you know, again, the scan and see virtual try on. This is all pretty good. But especially with the whole, you know, scan a label and see something, um, that that whole thing is interesting is that it still falls into a novelty category. There's no call to action. There's no transaction. Um, there's very little, uh, you know, engagement past the, the first two, five, six times or whatever. And when we say, hey, look, you know, here's how we're going to, you know, we, we, here's, a, here's an example. If I, if I sent you a coupon, an email, like a Groupon, you know, buy one, get one free, you're probably going to put it in spam or you're not going to pay any attention to it. 
But if I sent you a 3D object of, say, you know, I don't know, a pair of Nike shoes, and you could take that over to Foot Locker and, you know, do the same thing, buy one, get one free, uh, you are mentally and psychologically going to consider that completely different because it looks like an object. You know, mentally, it's like, hey, I, I found something. This has some value. I get to play with it. It's interactive. I can do something with it. I can give it to somebody else. And even if you gave it to somebody else, their response is going to be way different than you forwarding, you know, the Groupon coupon for the exact same offer. So right off the bat, there's some very big psychological differences um, for having an object. But even then going past that, um, you know, the whole point of that object is to be redeemed or or exchanged or credited or whatever to actually turn into some real world value which is way different from I'm going to scan, you know, a Coke can, watch a little video of a polar bear walking around and then like it somewhere. I mean, you know, okay, that's cool. I got some likes, I got some views, maybe it got a little bit of social media traction, but again, there's no push for a sale. There, there's no extension. There's no, you know, repeat anything once you've gone through that experience two or three times. So when you talk to a brand, it's the, hey, this is brand awareness, brand engagement. There's some long tail stuff here. There's some interactivity here. We've got repeat engagement. And we come back to you with a tremendous amount of, of user you know, data and behavior and activity, completely stripped of all the privacy stuff because you know, we don't want to mess around with that. But for them to understand what works and what doesn't work, what people are engaging in um, and what they like and don't like, and then ultimately see that increase in sales or that increase in exposure or even that increase in just brand prestige compared to, you know, you know, scan a label and watch video or, or, you know, like something in social media. I think they're beginning to understand that the power of this is you know pretty, pretty intense. And, you know, as a whole, the whole metaverse and digital economy, whatever is still in its very nascent stages. Um, but there's a lot of things that are happening. I think that are going to be game changing for what we normally traditionally think of as advertising and marketing. Here, here. To your point, you made just a minute ago about scanning things and watching a video or essentially seeing something in new form. And I feel like that's typically the, the way that so much of the evolution of technology happens. We tend to port what we knew about the past and what about, we know about the previous mm -hmm. formats into whatever new format we don't really understand yet. And the problem is those user conventions don't translate well. Um, if you're just scanning a video or scanning a barcode and then watching a video in three-dimensional space in augmented reality, congratulations, you've technically checked the box on augmented reality, but you really haven't created an experience um, that is native to that space and that is engaging in a way that people want to continue to engage their brand. And that, in my opinion, can actually be damaging to your brand instead of actually endearing the customer or creating that um, expectation of your brand being forward thinking and technologically adapt. So I'm glad to hear that you're building an infrastructure that helps make a lot of this more native work possible, uh, especially on the brand side, what gets measured gets made. So if you have analytics for it, I think that it'll accelerate the adoption curve of effective XR work instead of just XR work in general. So uh, kudos to you and I appreciate the, the work you're doing there. Uh, thanks. And, and, yeah, and, and yeah, I, I agree, you know, 100,000%. I mean, it kills me when I, I see things like, um, I don't know, people talking about advertising, you know, in games or in virtual worlds, and their immediate go-to is a billboard. I'm like, okay, you're still stuck in this, this two-dimensional windowed mode, right? So, and I actually saw one company recently that, that, that scored some funding because they're able to, I guess, track a user's eyes in VR so they know whether or not 
you know, the ad billboard was seen. Was and seen. I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking like, dude, I'm running around blowing things up, right? I'm paying zero attention to your your, your banner ad somewhere. And then it's like, you know, it's just like uh, with TV and movies. Um, you know, would you prefer a commercial or would you prefer a very subtle product placement, you know, which is more effective, which actually, you know, would be seen and recognized by the user or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's like, like you said, there's this, this sense of going back to the things that we know. Um, and I don't know. Do you remember when, when kind of crypto and blockchain was first big, there was that, that tea company that just like added block to their name. And then <laughs> yes. they like, you know, I mean, that's exactly it. You, you can't backwards engineer stuff. If you're going to play in the, the AR, VR, XR, metaverse sort of space, you've got to think about things differently and really take advantage of the technology and build a native experience around it and not just a novelty gimmick. Um, cause to your point, you know, I think brands do damage themselves if it's just this, you know, more generic, same old, same old crap. It's like, no, give me something that's useful. Uh, and, you know, people, people like things that actually make sense and aren't just, you know, jammed or spammed on them, I guess. I completely agree, especially when you talk about um, the idea of being able to create something native to 3D space, or at least to XR. It, that's actually really challenging for a lot of brands. Thinking in 3D is a skill set that not only do most brands not have, but a lot of creatives find very difficult to grasp if they haven't done a lot of 3D work. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like you can just go from understanding layers in Photoshop to understanding how to build for a 3D environment or an entire new environment or even just a 3D object that, uh, you know, is going to respond appropriately in XR. So it's a whole different skill set, and a lot of people are struggling to be able to do that. So I'm glad to see that there's a lot more tools that are making this easy to do. I mean, Sketchfab has been amazing. There's a lot of other uh, stock asset tools, but also a lot of infrastructure that's being built to make things like building an environment, placing objects, programming, and experience to be uh, a little bit a little bit less arduous than it used to be. It's still got a long, long way to go, but I'm glad to see more and more platforms coming out to, to make it easier. Blender is pretty incredible, but it has a steep learning curve, I would say. Amen. Yeah, it is. I, I love the fact that it's free. Oh, amen. And it's, it's incredibly composable and extendable, which I love. And practically every time Cinema 4D comes out with something, the Blender community responds really quickly with something new and oftentimes better, uh, as long as you're willing to kind of step through the interface. But, yeah, I'm a big fan of Blender. Yeah, advertising in the the VR market space right now is is um, is a huge talking point. You know, we had um, uh, Resolution Games came out with a game called Blast On, and they they put an ad in their game, the first you know little tester ad, and um, they had hundreds of people going onto their Steam page and review bombing them for that. Wow, <laughs> thought that. Yeah, well, I mean, their thought is, hey, you know. It makes sense having an ad in a free-to-play game, but if I'm purchasing a game for $19.99, um, there's a little bit of I own it and I shouldn't be, you know, um, expected to to deal with that space, right? Same for, you know, buying, you know, when you buy an app on your phone, if you pay for the app and unlock it, um, the thought is you get that ad-free content. Um, but looking at um, the way Oculus is doing it, stuff like that, it does not see that that's going to be the case, right? You can buy a $29.99 game and you're still going to have ads situated in that in that world so 
it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how it's done. Um, and like you were saying, I don't think they're going to be, they're not going to be pop-ups. They're not going to be, you know, things that are just stuck in your view all the time. Initially, um, like the one on blast on, is just a banner, right? And you yeah. can choose to hide the banner and you can click on the ads and choose not to see them. Right. Um, and, and all of these things, what they say is, um, at the discretion of the devs, right? So the devs can choose if they want to take part in this ad service and, and generate extra revenue through the ads. So, um, I, I think, um, what's going to happen and what I'm already seeing happening is, um, you know, instead of putting the blame on, uh, this, what people are doing is they're going at the devs, you know, why would you do this to your game? Why would you put this in your game? Um, and I think it's going to create a lot of, um, a lot of ripple effects within the, you know, within the community itself. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see once it rolls out, what actually happens. I agree. I think, um, if I personally, if I had seen them do put a little more thought into this and seeing how they could integrate the ad more natively into the environment and into the gameplay so that it made sense, I don't think they would have gotten carpet bombs in the way that they did, but this does feel like a VR version of a banner ad and none of us. <laughs> well, what I, well, what I don't get and, and me not, not being a developer, right? So wh- what I don't get is like, like our magazine, we sell ad space, right? I, if I were an independent developer of a game, like say space pirate trainer or pro Put golf or something like that, I would go out and find those advertisers on my own. It'd be really easy to say, Hey, 30,000 people play my game on a monthly basis. I have banners in the background. If you pay me X or X amount, I can put your name on there for people to see, and then they can tailor it to match the game. Right. So, you know, the ad could be VR related or golf related if it's a golf game and you're not just going to get random ads based on your location. Um, and I think that would be more beneficial to a, a developer. And I think, and I think the community and, and the players would, would appreciate that and, and realize, oh, you know, this guy's selling his ad space to make, you know, to make extra money, to make the game better. But it's not just feeding us local ads into the game. Um, and it doesn't, it's not going to come across that way. So um, I, I don't, uh, I, I guess it's easier just to hit a play button and expect extra income. And I can see the, you know, the desire to do so. But um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's wild. What we get a lot now is because I do the the cloud computing is, um, you know, people using cloud cloud uh, cloud PCs to, um, you know, play their Steam VR on their Oculus Quest, because if you're playing through Steam VR, then you're not you're not subjected to those ads. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, especially when you see your first ad as uh, Jasper's Market yeah. again. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're going to have what they're thinking. You have to think about it, right? I mean, uh, we're going to have an ad. There's someone's going to side quest or side load an ad blocker, right? I mean, that has to be a thing that's just going to happen, um, I, I assume, at one point. Um, but, yeah, in, in, until then. And I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a relatively slow rollout because the devs that we're talking to, the ones that are in the magazine, you know, they're all saying that they're, you know, they're going to be hesitant um, because of the backlash so far. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, that brings to mind the question then. So when we look at, you know, the, the metaverse and, and its most broadest possible definition of, of all the things, is there maybe an opportunity here to kind of redefine what advertising is in general and maybe look at more marketing? I mean, do we really need to have the traditional, um, you know, advertisement per se as opposed to other things well, well, yeah, insertions, but I mean, it's like, you know, are there, are there are other ways to get brand exposure um, and brand awareness, whatever, without a discrete 
advertisement for a specific thing. So, for example, yeah, you know, if you gave me a well, well, right. But if you gave me a pop up that said, "Hey, you know, you can buy a bunch of extra, you know, golden gem star or whatever things to power up my character," and there's a bundle deal sponsored by Coke, I, I would be way happier to have that than a you know, you know, a four second interstitial with somebody drinking a Coke in front of me, or you know, some other thing where th- there's there's game content that's tied to or related to or sponsored by or you know whatever with the brand that enhances the game experience as opposed to this this interruptive sort of thing that uh, I'm going to try to block or avoid or ignore completely. And I, I think that especially with so much of Things going to this three-dimensional sort of thing, whether it's full-on, you know, VR, 3D, or your typical, you know, 3D game or whatever. Even, even, you know, even a top-down uh, 2D game still is different from, you know, a flat, you know, page in a, in a newspaper sort of thing. I, I just wonder if there's not some room to really kind of redefine what advertising is and get away from the the one-way broadcast, you know, passive experience of an advertisement to turn it into something that's more more useful as an advertising guy and a, and a marketing guy, I would love to see a feature like that. Unfortunately, I don't see it ever fully replacing the interruptive placements, but I would love to see more and more people start to understand how their content can play natively in a way that enhances an experience. And I think that the first delve of that was the whole native content boom, which unfortunately became, you know, the editorial uh, online and it, started to blur the lines of what's actually good journalism. Mm -hmm. But when it goes beyond that, you actually find people who are starting to um, find ways to integrate with games in really natural uh, ways. It doesn't happen a lot, though, because most marketers are thinking of things in a way of, what are my placements? What's my cost for acquisition? What's my CPM? And what are my efficiencies? And they're looking at things that are able to scale. And native placements like that by definition don't they're supposed to be a little bit higher level effort they're supposed to be tailored more to the specific audience that is going to be uh, seeing it and it also requires a lot more effort on the part of the publication to help make sure that it does fit now it's far more tailored to that audience so therefore it's going to be a better a higher engagement and a much uh, stronger pressure but as an advertiser often looking for how can i get the biggest reach um, if it's an awareness campaign if it were around something like loyalty or engagement, then I'm willing to spend more time and more money to do that. And just being able to do that at scale is a lot of work and a lot of money. It gets expensive real fast. Mm-hmm. But that's just the reality on the marketer side. Uh, personally, as a futurist and VR XR guy, I'd, I would love to see it. You know, when you, when you put your consumer hat on, you're no longer a marketer. It thinks about your brand 24 <laughs> seven. It is nice to have experiences that are uh, enjoyable. Yeah, I just hope we don't end up with uh, Max Hedrum's Blitverts. You you know there's going to be somebody who recreates that. (laughs) 100%. I'll buy that NFT just for shits and giggles. (laughs) Speaking of NFTs, I'm curious... uh, where everyone's heads are at right now with uh, given the complete implosion on the art side, um, but given the incredible utility um, of the asset itself, I mean, there's so much to it in terms of the stuff we're already talking about. Um, what kind of things have you been seeing um, ever since the speculation market seems to have kind of evaporated? 
the real artists are still working on their art. I'd say that's still happening. That's positive. Which I'm incredibly grateful for. Yeah. Um, a lot less, um, 24 seven hype coverage of the NFT marketplace and what it's doing and who is doing things with whom. So I think that's kind of, does that mean I could hop on clubhouse and like actually see a room that's not dedicated to NFTs? You might. Oh man. Yeah. Now it's just, uh, now it's just, um, <clears throat> big cloud <laughs> and NFTs, both of them together. Oh man. Wow. I don't We've hit peak, peak douchebag. So, you know. No, no, not at all. I, but there was a point where I had to go onto my Twitter and, and, you know, kind of just get rid of the word NFT because it was popping up so, you so much. For a yeah. Smart. Uh, but, no, I, I see it. And there's, you know, people are trying, I mean, there's a lot of people who are trying to incorporate that into the metaverse, right? Through, you know, um, you know, uh, not just 3D art, but uh, avatar creation and avatar clothing and avatar animations and just different things like that. Since it's very easy to rip off a 3D avatar and something like, uh, you know, VR chat or Neos VR or something like that. So um, I, there's definitely value, um, you know, in the blockchain, especially in, in, in the metaverse. Uh, but I just, I haven't seen a proper way for it to be implemented yet. I'm with you hundred percent. I personally, I think, and I'm going to get heavy here, but I think that the NFT is the atomic unit of the metaverse. Um, it's really to your point, Michael, it's just an, a smart contract that allows different things to happen, but I am really interested to see how quickly the functionality, uh, in, starts to develop, but also when the infrastructure is set up for more fluid cross-chain transactions, being able to have these NFTs and smart contracts be portable across different environments, different infrastructure, different blockchains, I think that's when we're going to see an explosion of the real utility. And I also think that's when a lot of the speculation will come back, probably in a much healthier form. Um, but I'm really curious to see how that also impacts other experiences beyond things just like digital assets because at that point now you're starting to get the opportunity to start to collateralize even more real world assets and tie them into virtual experiences versus just having virtual experiences tied to physical events so i'm really curious to see how all of that develops because there's an enormous amount of potential there yeah i uh, i 100 agree on the um nft you know kind of being the atomic unit i think it, it makes a lot of sense they don't have to be the single one-off unique there's only one of these in existence but just the method of tokenizing something where, you know, it's got that, that provable provenance. You can track where it came from, where it's been, what it does. Um, it, you can't copy and, you know, fake it or cheat it. That's important on the monetization side, like I talked about earlier with virtual goods, um, but also for a lot of other things like identity and whatnot. So I think yeah, 100% behind you there. And then I think that we're probably going to see a couple of different cycles over time. You know, we've had this initial, oh, my God, NFTs are amazing. Let's all spend millions of dollars for it. Um, that's, that's probably going to happen five or six more times. And I, I think you're going to see, you know, a few siloed, you know, walled garden, whatever, things for the next maybe, you know, one to three years until that, like you said, that, that kind of standardized cross platform cross-world and interoperability sort of kicks in. And I think that's really where we're going to see the bend in the hockey stick. Um, but also to answer like one of your earlier questions, um, you know, part of 
some of the interest that we're getting from the commercial real estate side of the fence um, is also on this this NFT side. You know, how do you represent the you know, ownership of a physical asset like a, a house or an apartment in a bigger building or you know some other sort of thing, whether it's a one-to-one ownership or it's a fractional ownership or, or you know, can, can I track the, the tax record and maintenance record of this sort of thing and kind of know for sure that it is what it is. Um, I think there's going to be a whole lot of emergent, you know, applications and, and use cases for NFTs. And right now it's just a lot of people are, it's kind of like the, the original heady blockchain days, you know, stick NFT next to your name and people throw money at you. Um, we're, 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 that's the cycle that we're at for the next, I don't know, six to 12 months. But I think there's been enough happening in the last maybe four or five months where there's at least, at least as far as I can tell, a lot of smart people are really starting to, um, buckle down and hide in their basements and really think hard about business models and use cases, you know, work in this, this concept of tokenization and, you know, NFTs really go and let's build out something that's actually useful. Um, so here, here. I'd like to hear a little bit about um, hardware and how the different devices or technologies affect what you guys are developing or how you can deploy projects and things like that. Do you want to direct that one to somebody specific or... Um, anybody can jump on it. I know you have, um, you know, you're mobile already, so that might be a good place to start, but definitely I think in terms of, uh, at least augmented reality versus virtual reality, there's a, there's a hardware comparison to be made there, but yeah, feel free to start. All right. Yeah. I just didn't want to, um, do all the talking cause you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this stuff and I could talk for hours. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, kind of, I get this question a lot, especially from, from investor guys and, you know, kind of my perspective is I'm really, my goal here is accessibility and, and scale. You know, I, you know, at the end of the day, I really want to be kind of agnostic. I don't care if you're Android or, you know, iOS, or I don't care if you've got Apple glasses or, you know, Oakley's or any of that other sort of stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I, if I came in, this meeting and said, Hey guys, here's a PlayStation 27. Um, and there was like no content for it. You'd be kind of put out. So kind of our goal is to, you know, do what we can do, but keep an eye towards the future. So as we're developing stuff, we want to make sure that, you know, when something new, like, like the Apple glasses or whatever comes out, they can immediately just plug in and kind of access all of our content. So we're not developing specifically for hardware. I mean, there's already like what 1.8 billion, you know, AR ready mobile devices that are out there. Um, that's the market we want to go after. And then you know, if people have higher end stuff or, you know, the magic glasses, then they'll get a better experience. And the same thing too, on the VR side. And I, I always try to make the distinction between 3d and VR. I mean, they're effectively the same exact thing, except VR has the head mounted display and maybe some hand control devices. But if you set that aside as just another access method, um, you know, everything else is still the same. It's 3D, is 3D. So we build our stuff that designed for, you know, a browser access or for, you know, a desktop application or whatever. And then there just happens to be extra um, user interface options if you do have a, a head-mounted display or something. 
So we, we try to be a little agnostic and not limited, but at the same time, if somebody's got the hardware, you know, we want to make sure that you know you can get the, the most banging uh, experience with it. To your point about content uh, a minute ago, I think there's a lot happening in the consumer space too, but I think we'll make uh, 3D worlds a little more robust and the number of assets usable to uh, creators and developers uh, far more viable because I'm really excited to see what Apple is doing with things like their object capture API mm -hmm. and making things like scanning so much easier on their phones because 3D, is, as I mentioned this earlier, it's tough to learn 3D. But if every single consumer has access to a LiDAR on their phone and if you're a developer, you have access to something like an uh, their photogrammetry API, all of a sudden, a whole pipeline for being able to develop 3D assets becomes available to you, and 3D content just starts to explode. And all of a sudden, you get to a point where UTC becomes part of your XR experience, kind of like we did, we saw with Instagram. And I think that we're going to see a really interesting development in terms of uh, XR and 3D content, like we did with Instagram. When Instagram became big, all of a sudden, everybody became a photographer, and mm -hmm. also... DSLR sales exploded, and all of a sudden you saw this revolution of amateur photographers starting to build a name for themselves and becoming influencers, and the content explosion began. Of course, the bar of quality went way up in terms of what was considered average to build a following. And I think something similar will be happening with 3D in terms of all of the tools are now becoming available and making it easier to go from knowing nothing to being able to kind of cobble together some sort of viable experience and those you put a little more effort into it will be able to create something really compelling and for example if you wanted to use the photogrammetry api you can transfer your exif data which has the gravity it has location information it has um, the positioning and you just transfer that over to the high resolution dslr pictures and you have something incredibly high resolution and a really easy pipeline to build you've got great assets that you can port into almost anything you want and now the developers aren't responsible for coming up with all of the assets that their players can use. And UGC becomes part of almost like this community element of gaming and XR experience. Yeah, I, I think there's something there too. When you look at like the mod community for games, right? You know, game comes out and three months later, you know, you head over to Nexus Mods and download somebody else's texture pack and their visuals are way better. Like, well, why wasn't this guy hired by the developer to start with? I, I think if, if we, you know, as... As platform designers or, you know, infrastructure or whatever, I think if we kind of get to this point where we abstract out some things, so let's say I have a, have a chair uh, and I'm tokenized this chair and it's got a certain set of behaviors and properties to it, right? My avatar can sit in it, I can pick it up, I can move it around, I can stand on it. It's effectively a chair. I think that's important. But then I think you can abstract out what the chair looks like and then have, you know, 55 different either models or textures or whatever, some user-created, some not user-created, um, it's still functionally a chair, and that's important on, you know, the, the interaction side. Um, but being able to change the visuals of the chair, I think that kind of opens, just like, you know, the mod, mod community does, um, you know, I think that's going to have an effect. And that may also include mapping of a location. You know, mapping is going to get, you know, interesting over time as users start mapping their homes or whatever. But there's certain use cases where I need like a super high fidelity, highly accurate, you know, millimeter scale digital twin of somewhere in other cases where I don't care as long as it's accurate down to, you know, the nearest foot. Um, but being able to have users that kind of go in and, you know, upload their own content uh, in terms of how something looks or even maybe interacts, 
I think is uh, is really kind of interesting and can kind of open up a whole lot of other you know user generated content markets as well. Does, now, does that's that make a world sense? I look forward to. Absolutely. Cool. Because you know, then at that point, you know, great content rises to the to the top of the, the stack, uh, even though you're not necessarily changing the native what the chair actually is. Um, and I think that gets to a lot of the hesitation for a lot of developers and game platforms of allowing UGC to be uh, part of that process because you have to police the the content in some way to make sure that okay, if I have an aesthetic that's like Fortnite. I'm not doing something that's super photorealistic or, you know, I'm pulling the style from destiny or something like that. You have to make sure that it makes sense of the game unless that's part of your governance where we really just don't care what kind of aesthetic or what kind of functionality you're bringing into it. Uh, I think the, you're speaking some really interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, this, this is kind of where, well, no, that's actually, it's a really interesting point, but this is where I think, you know, what the user experience is, is a little different and why I think, at least from, from what we're trying to do, you know, ultimately is to abstract out things. It's like you and I can both be in the same environment and doing the same thing. And again, we both see the chair and it's the same chair, but you may have, you know, turned on a, uh, you know, a theme or something where it's a Star Wars chair or it's a Game of Thrones chair or it's an evil, you know, demonic chair that bleeds on the floor or whatever. Um, and only you see that because that's, that's your filter. So a brand like, like a Fortnite or something can still maintain whatever for generic users, but you as individual user should be able to turn on your own filter or your own lens uh, and then, you know, maybe customize the heck out of it and share that with your friends. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's different ways to look at this in terms of um, individual users or, or, you know, thematic aesthetic layers or whatever, um, or some other thing that I haven't figured out how to make up on the fly. Um, but, but I mean, is what I'm saying is like, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of fertile ground here that hasn't really been, been touched upon yet. And I think that a lot of this is, we just have to build it and just see kind of what emerges and what people do and want. And as long as we're still open and adaptable and, uh, you know, you know I, I don't know. I, I just think the interesting is going to be, the future is going to be really interesting over the next two or three years. I'm excited for it myself. I'm really interested though. Like, it seems like it to me the the game world has become so much more relevant over the last decade, and particularly the last two years, become incredibly hot um, in terms of where all the focus is. Because there's so much that can be done in terms of what you build in a game engine. Um, I mean, even entire economies have been developed in games for years now. I feel like the games and game engines are going to be almost the uh, like the testing ground for eventually for uh, experiences in the real world. I can even see it being a testing ground for different types of economies, uh, different structures, different foundations. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, leaning to the metaverse for almost like an experimentation on what can actually happen in the real world? Um, I, it's happening. Uh, and th there, I've started to see a lot of discussion on this in like the last maybe five or six months in terms of, you know, the, the new digital economy or the new virtual economy, you know, for years, I mean, gosh, even going back to the, I mean, God, I remember back in like the early mid nineties playing text-based, you know, muds and, and spending money to, to get, you know, in-game currency to some other guy that, that slaved over it for a while. And, you know, this has been a thing that's been going on for, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think now if you're familiar with like, you know, Pierce kicks or, or some of the other, you know, people that are really active in these virtual economies or what's happening over, like with Axie, for example, 
you've got people in the Philippines playing this game, breeding things and, you know, whatever. And instead of working $5 a day, they're making, you know, five, 600 bucks a week or, or more, you know, basically gathering game assets or, or rare things and selling them to other users. And I think that's going to explode when the metaverse, you know, kind of starts rolling out. Um, you know, what, what, here's, here's one example I'll use because something that we're, you know, we're very motivated, interested in, and trying to work on. If you think, for example, if you take a digital twin of a mall somewhere, so nice, you know, it looks like the mall, it's the same mall, it's 3D. I can explore it, you know, we we'll use Unity or Unreal, it's got a 3D, whatever. Um, you know, that's pretty cool and fun, and it's nice to be able to walk around it with my little avatar. But it's even cooler if other people are there. So now we're all hanging out at the same mall. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know, the St. Matthews Mall in Louisville, Kentucky or something. We're all just kind of wandering around having a good time. But if you enable some some commerce there where each of those individual store tenants can, you know, interact with you and sell you stuff, that's really cool and amazing. But what really kind of jacks us to a whole nother level is if you've got somebody in another country, let's say you've got your you know single mom with two kids in the Philippines uh, who creates an avatar, you know, goes over to the mall of Kentucky, kind of learns English, starts making some friends, and then starts working the the third shift at Macy's selling merchandise to some guy in Russia that happened to log in who happens to want, you know, a pair of, um, you know, a t-shirt or something for, you know, UFK basketball team sold in the, you know, the local sports store. When you see that sort of thing starting to happen where you've got, you know, multiple people across the globe effectively transcending borders to, you know, find jobs and gain income, interact and socialize with other people and really engage in commerce, um, you know, multiple different levels. I think that is where the sense of digital economy that we see in games, you know, do, or, you know, the whole play to earn sort of model or, you know, whatever. I mean, all these things are kind of coming together. I think uh, it's going to be just this dramatically disruptive thing globally and really getting back to kind of what we all expected for the Internet and the Web to be the great equalizer. I think we haven't even begun to see how amazing the the ultimate metaverse is you know, going to be there. And probably the earliest... I guess example of this in terms of the mass market is was, you know, Ready Player One watching how, you know, the characters had their day jobs in the metaverse. I think that's absolutely coming, but there's going to be like 55 different ways to do that. You know, that's funny. You, you, you mentioned that. So the way I got started in VR was my day job was in the metaverse. So I started working for high fidelity VR before they transferred over to a spatial audio platform. And people would ask me, what do you do in VR? And I told when when I told my work in VR, and um, I literally would for nine hours a day put on my VR headset and stand in a welcome room and welcome new users into VR. I think that was my day job, um, which was extremely wow. cool to talk about, but um, it, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know um, ice packs on my neck after a long day. So. You did that in some ice drain. Damn. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It was, it was rough, but it, it, was, it was so fun. It was just such like a, a weird experience. Cause I'd be in there for, you know, eight, nine hours. And I, I just, I'd get come out of VR and I'd go to walk around my room and it would feel like that <laughs> sensation you get when you're like, you first get off a treadmill after running. Yeah. You know? yeah, and it's just like, dude, what is going on? Um, mad respect, yeah, man. One hundred bad, bad respect. <laughs> it was a good experience. But yeah, I think that's coming more and more. You know, I think we're going to see, um, especially as like uh, VR is used more towards um, when when VR and AR and all that stuff um, incorporates more. I think there's 
there's a lot of things even probably already that you can do in, uh, you know, in, within VR. I know that like, uh, you know, as far as, um, industry, like, like, um, GE general electric's using it for all their underground transformer training and all that sort of stuff. But then they're starting to look at it from a cyber, from a security perspective, you know, Hey, here's a substation. Something's going on at the substation. We have a 360 camera in the middle of the substation. You have a guy, 40 miles away, puts on a VR headset and can manually look around that space, right? So I think we're, we're starting to see that incorporation come in a lot more. And to me, that's the most exciting thing to see, you know, is 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 people who people finding ways, solutions to utilize it and then see the value in it because that's only going to help everybody involved. There's an enormous amount of awesome stuff happening from a, a corporate space as well. And I'm also excited to see more and more creating happening in, in VR because I really do believe that creating in a tool that's not native to the medium can create all sorts of issues. Um, it's possible, but it just reminds me of my days at agency when, when I would see people developing apps and websites and then just showing it to the client on, like, reams and reams of poster board in his PDF. <laughs> All I could think is like, this, this is, it doesn't work people. <laughs> you need to experience things in context and see them in context to understand how your end user is going to use it. And now we have more and more robust tools developed in VR. I think that there's a lot more that's going to happen. I, I really do think that's going to have a massive impact on the quality of the interactions in VR. Yep. I agree. Yeah, so. What are some of the uh, the tools you guys have uh, played around with in VR that you uh, you like so far? Are you talking about from a developer standpoint or just from a creative? Uh, more from a creative standpoint, yeah. Sure. Um, well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people in here are familiar with, you know, with um, Tilt Brush and, and, and Sketchfab and, and all those sort of sort of tools that go on. But, um, you know, the, what I'm using now is I, I mentioned earlier, I'm doing stuff with, with Pluto spheres. I'm, I'm getting deep into the, um, just utilizing cloud computing for virtual reality and, and seeing kind of how far you can take that, you know? So, um, you know, if, if you have say an Oculus quest and you don't have access to a gaming PC, but you want that more high end experience or you want to play applications that aren't really on a quest or standalone device, um, you can literally just go on your phone, turn on your computer, and then access um, all your Steam devices uh, from a virtual PC in your headset. And you can play all your Steam VR games directly on your Quest, bypassing, you know, all the all the kind of um, uh, Quest operating systems. So for me, that's been kind of what I've been playing with is seeing just how far you can take that because you're now using a cloud PC to that. Um, you can also, uh, you know, do different things. Like I can be in VR and log on to my clubhouse now and, and be listening and talking in clubhouse while, um, playing beat saber or while doing something else. Um, and then, um, I'm messing a lot with, um, you know, multi-app launchers. So being in a 3D environment and bringing in multiple XR applications at once using um, Chimera and Metachromium and um, and Pluto VR to kind of um, add networking capability to any any program. So, you know, if someone in here creates an XR app and they don't have any networking capabilities, you can essentially just 
um, boot up Metachromium from Steam and Pluto from Steam. And those two things working together allow you to just bring someone into your world. They can interact with any WebXR experience that you spawn in there with you. They can look at 3D models. They can import stuff into the world, and you can stack multiple XR apps on top of each other. So for me, it's figuring out, um, you know, I've been messing around with the kind of the use cases for that. It's been, it's been really fun. Yeah. What's uh? What have you seen as far as like what works well together when you're stacking multiple XR apps on top of each other? Yeah. So um, you know, actually, we 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 tried to do like a mock uh, a podcast a few days ago where we we were in you're in a room in virtual reality. Um, there were about seven of us in a room. We each spawned in our own WebXR models. So I, you know, pulled in a model of a chair to sit on, you know, a gaming chair and someone else pulled in a, a LIDAR scan of their backyard and someone else pulled in a, a photogrammetry scan of their bedroom that we were all sitting in. Um, and then, and we could all see this and interact with it. And then, um, while we we're doing that, we were all piped in the clubhouse in a clubhouse call, all able to talk to, to each other using clubhouse as the audio Right. And um, and it was just a, a, a kind of a unique experience. We're able to pull people up from Clubhouse, spin up a virtual PC. They can hop in their quest, um, jump on virtual desktop and then just log right into our world. Um, and it's like it's not a platform. Right. It's just a it's just a spun up space um, that that, um, you know, a WebXR space that you're just jumping right into. Um, so it, it, I don't know. It's kind of a kind of a unique experience. But, um, but yeah. I was, I was there. It was super cool. <laughs> I still have to do that aggregate tweet, Daniel. Um, and what, what I had done in that in that room at that time is because Apple has picture in picture. I basically loaded the <laughs> the the. I was going to say real life experience. It wasn't. It was a metaverse, um, like let's say remote meeting, and then would watch it as I'd see each person light up, uh, sorry, the gray beige ring around on clubhouse, their profile would just illuminate or, you know, dissipate. And that was really cool to be like, all right, now, <laughs> now, uh, I was talking now, uh, Michael's talking. So that was really cool. I still have to put that tweet up. So I'll, I should do that today. Yeah, it was, it did, man. It was, it was interesting. Just like, you know, just being in there in the April, like when we, when we, um, uh, had Victoria come up and just onboarded her on there directly. And, um, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's giving me so much ideas for new use cases, right? Because previously to that, I, I didn't really give much thought into WebXR, um, into WebVR platforms. Um, but utilizing something like this, if you're someone creating even an augmented reality experience, you could essentially, you know, um, load up a room, invite some people into it and just load your, your AR package directly into it. And, 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 uh, do that AR program in a virtual environment, right. And test it out. Um, so there's just like, there's really weird use cases that, um, that, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of use cases that I have no idea about because like I said, it's not, it's not my, my expertise, but just, just having the opportunity to kind of just see what's possible, which I think, you know, for all of us, um, you know, is the most fun about this space and this industry is, it's still relatively new. So the opportunity to find new possibilities and new way to integrate is, is always changing. I love the creativity. That sounds like a lot of fun. And you mentioned Victoria is at uh, Victoria Modesta. Oh gosh. <clears throat> I don't remember. check that out yeah it sounds cool sounds like you guys uh kind of hacked everything together and made it work 
yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was how many we were, our, our goal was to throw as many things, as many different, um, you know, uh, web profiles on as we could. We were using, um, I have four different, um, cloud computing or cloud computers, uh, virtual machines to, um, uh, to run as cameras that you grab around and manipulate. And then, um, you know, the clubhouse and the sound integration. And it was definitely just a piece, a piecemeal, just piecing everything together and, and just hoping that it worked. Um, but you know, it, it created a lot of opportunity for what, what else could, could this be utilized for? And, and the first thing I thought was, well, you know, as uh, you know, if you're, if you're a newer, um, a developer and you're creating an application and don't really have the resources or time or know how to incorporate networking into it, you could use this to bring people into your space right away, right? Show them what you're working on, collaborate, um, and do that sort of thing without having to incorporate any of that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. So that's, that's kind of where my mind's been at lately as far as, as far as, uh, uh you know, being creative within VR. Um, other than that, obviously just magazine stuff and, and, my main goal is to learn how other people are being creative in VR. So I love it. It sounds like a great time and a recipe for a headache at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit about the magazine? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, um, almost a year ago, about eight months ago, nine months ago, we started a, it, had this idea to, you know, we grew up with gaming magazines, Game Informer, PC Gamer, and all that sort of stuff, Nintendo uh, Nintendo Power. And we were like, dude, how cool would it be to have a, um, a magazine that was just based on, you know, VR tech and the VR community? And um, we kind of just uh, uh, log and preserve how the evolution of VR is happening, right? So people could come back 10 years from now and look at these magazines and be like, Oh, you know, this is what was going on back then. This is how this got started, blah, 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 blah. So we started a virtual magazine with, I mean, a a physical magazine with really no large expectations. We're like, you know what, we'll do it amongst the Twitter community and maybe we'll get 15, 20 people to, you know, want to buy one of these magazines that we can sit on our coffee table and look at. And it'll kind of be, you know, nostalgic and fun at the same time. Um, And then after the first issue, we quickly realized that, there was a lot of people who were interested in this sort of thing. Um, you know, we started it right at the beginning of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, I think there were a lot of people who were, who were at home and looking, looking for, for, for new things and new outlets. So we opened up the magazine as a community curated magazine and we let literally anyone in the VR community who, you know, who wanted to share their voice or share their opinions or share their projects or, um, share their creativity, uh, write for the magazine and, 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 um, you know, input content for the magazine. And we found that through doing that, um, you know, we were able to kind of just build our base up quickly because a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of things to say and might not have the platform to say it. You know, you might have an independent dev who's working on a project or a charity company who's working on a project and they're not particularly strong in the the social media or, or, you know, um, the, the Twitter aspect of it. So, um, to be able to hop in the magazine and go to people, um, that, you know, are very interested in VR because it's a niche market within a niche market, you know? So, um, we kind of just held on to that and then, you know, we grew and, you know, now we're in, now we're in a bunch of VR arcades. We shipped over 22 countries. Um, we're looking at contracts for uh, full distribution into like, uh, Barnes and Noble. Um, and we're, and it's, we're just a team of two people and we're putting this magazine together and spending all of our, all of our time and energy and, 
and um, and, and just try to make it something something special. So it's been it's been so fun because I literally all day every day just get to talk to people and hear about the new stuff they're doing, not just within VR, but how it's being utilized in the industry. You know, like companies like World for Peace who are using VR in Africa um, uh, to have uh, uh, rival tribes and, and villages um, communicate to each other through VR. So they're not put in harm's way and they're not in person. So they can have these conversations about what's going on in their villages and, and what they disagree on and what they agree on. And just weird use cases like that, that I, I think a lot of people who think of VR um, don't think about, and they don't wrap their head around the different possibilities you can use it for, you know, VR in the industry for, training someone how to, um, you know, how to rig up an underground transformer and still stay safe or how to, um, run a crane, you know, um, and, and all this sort of stuff. So it's, it's been really interesting and, and fun. It's been a, it's been a really cool journey for, uh, for me and, um, my business partner, Cody to kind of just, um, you know, ride the waves and, and try to make this like the best magazine we can. So, um, we're getting ready to launch issue five now and then issue six, which will be our, like year, um, our year issue because we ship out every two months. So it's, it's, dude, it's been a blast, man. It's been a blast to, to meet people and, and see the creativity and, and just hear about all the new things that are going on. So fun. congratulations, man. Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. It's fun. It's weird talking about, cause you know, it is a niche in a niche. Like, like you go to a game store, you go to any store right now and you look on the, the magazine shelves and, you're not even going to find a gaming magazine anymore. It's like one, right? Like a Fortnite magazine and nothing else exists because it's just, it's one of those mediums that, you know, slowly go away. But what we're finding is a lot of people still do like the tangible. Um, and it's kind of, it's kind of just different because it's focused on, I mean, you can look through any of our magazines and if you're on the Twitter, if you're on Twitter at all in the VR community, you will recognize, you know, most of the people who are in the magazine are right for the magazine, you know? So it's just, it's, it's, it's a really good, um, a building block amongst the community. And it's just something that's going to be really cool five, six years from now to come back and look and just see, you know, um, what people were working on and, and, um, kind of how we've progressed in that time frame. you know, there's an interesting takeaway too, from that, from what you said, uh, as we continue into extended reality, does that create a larger premium on actual real experiences, real physical things? I mean, yeah, I think so. I think it could absolutely. I think, you know, I, I think as for myself, as technology advances and I spend this much time in VR and just everything that's going on with the world of, you know, getting 200 emails a day and apps and also I, I feel like taking a step back and like going back to just that nostalgic is is nice. And it seems like a, a nice getaway for me. You know, and I'm not specifically talking about the magazine. I'm talking about you know, something simply is sitting on a couch and, and looking at a book or, you know, playing a, playing a board game with your friends and families. I think that, um, you know, you look at, you look at, I can look at my nephews and stuff that are in their teens and stuff now. And like, they have no desire to just sit and have those sort of interactions. Um, you know, and I feel like those are going to be, you know, more sought after experiences in the future as we just go towards more of a, a, you know, a digital and virtual and a built metaverse, which is fine. I think they can work together in their own ways, but it's going to, I think people are going to start looking at, looking at these things a little differently. Yeah. I think it's already happening to some extent. I mean, we've talked, we've seen unplugged culture 
become a thing and people needing some sort of uh, dopamine detox as a result of spending so much time online and especially in social channels where we're all chasing some sort of validation and VR takes that to a different level. And when you're actually immersed in a world that your brain can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about having that premium on real physical experiences and goods, because uh, I think it's already moving in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't, I can't wait till, I mean, you know, we talk about VR and we talk about the space and we talk about that sort of, but it's going to be really neat in the future when, you know, you're, you're, you're in VR and, um, you're, you're, you're playing a specific game or a specific experience and you see something in there and you're like, Oh, this is really neat. Um, you know, and then you can, <laughs> you can highlight it within VR and purchase it. And then you have a virtual or a physical product show up at your house. Right. I mean, I, I think there's ways for, for all this, you know, for a, a good, um, I don't know what the, the word is, um, for, for both these things to, to work together. But I, I really feel like at the end of the day and, and not just because I create a physical magazine, but I, I still feel that, you know, people, people appreciate the tangible, right. And, and, um, I, I feel like being nostalgic is something that will always be there. I think the, what you're nostalgic about, um, will change, but I feel like there will always be people looking to kind of step back and, and, and step back into what they remember from being a kid or, or, you know, an easier time in their life or whatever the case may be. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting with, you know, just how much information and how much, you know, even with VR, how you can kind of recreate experiences, just what that's going to look like in the future, you know, here, here. Who do you guys think will be uh, one of the first brands to really effectively use um, XR Commerce to both uh, experience and then purchase in the real world? My mine, my money's on Wayfair. Well, I mean, when you look at stuff like that, I mean, you think five years ago, four years ago, IKEA put out a VR app where you could go in and look at kitchen projects and build your own kitchen. And like, look around the kitchen, and then if you like order stuff, you could literally click a button that took you to the web page to purchase those items. You know, so yeah, uh, IKEA has been a front runner. Yeah, so I, I, I feel like yeah, Wayfair, it makes sense, right? Like, here's a virtual house, build it the way you want, and then if you like any of these items, uh, or you know, or augmented reality, and, and you can purchase them through that route. But um, yeah, man, that'll be interesting to see. I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for what company's really gonna. I mean. We have a lot of companies in, investing in, you know, VR from different aspects, like you know, like Facebook and HTC and that sort of stuff. Um, but who, who in that sort of space is going to come in and just disrupt the industry, right? Because it hasn't happened yet. I mean, it, it, you know, uh, Mercedes and all these companies have—they all put out VR experiences with the intent to sell or the intent to show off a product, but no one really said, "Hey." Here's a specific app or platform built to purchase, you know, real world goods within a, a virtual market. Um, that just hasn't really happened yet. And if it has, I haven't heard about it and it hasn't caught much traction. So uh, that's actually what I'm trying to build. Oh, whoops. Sorry. You could should elaborate on top of that, Robert. Yeah, please. I just, you know, that'd be great. I just wanted the question to be reasked after Robert finishes. Uh, uh, okay. Well, I mean, so that's literally what we're trying to do is, you know, create that that space where, where you know, again, it's 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 about about the commerce and the monetization, right? Getting beyond, you know, going somewhere for just an experience. For 
whether it's, um, I don't know, somebody that wants to do stuff on Etsy or whether it's a mall or whether it's, you know, some other retail sort of brand, it's, you know, it's one thing if I've got, you know, Ikea furniture in my living room or something, but it's entirely something different if I'm in a 3D space and I see something and I want it and I buy that 3D thing. And then later on I get it, you know, in the mail. I think that that's, a, that's the important crossover piece there. And I don't know that the brands or any of the bigger, you know, hardware tech companies are going to going to take the lead on this because it seems too it's too centric, right? If um, say you know L'Oreal or somebody or Mercedes is like, oh, we're going to make it possible to do all this sort of fun stuff. That's cool if you're interested in buying their stuff specifically. But I think for all of you know commerce and 3D and shopping and monetization to really kick off at a large scale, you need to have you know one or more you know, AR, VR, metaverse platforms out there that enable consumer brands to come in, set up shop, and immediately start selling to consumers. But also you need the same thing for the actual consumer to sell to other consumers. I think that's really the big the big aha moment is, you know, when, you know, I, I could be an you know, Amazon reseller, I could have an Etsy account, you know, or whatever. But if I can go and be selling things, you know, through metaverse application A, B, or C, I think that's that's kind of like the big big door opener, and that's really we fundamentally want to build is the ability to enable and facilitate other people, you know, buy, selling, and trading uh, in metaverse spaces. So, Michael, it was it was your question that you had launched, right? Yeah. Were you follow up? Okay, so, well, I, here, if we could just restate the question. Um, so what I, what I understood it to be was, what do you see? And then, because basically, uh, because of the last two contributions, I kind of got distracted from the core root of the question. So if you could re-ask that part that was like, what do you see blank, blank? Oh, geez. Uh, oh, I think the thing that I said was something about uh, extended reality increasing and that creating a premium on actual real experiences, something to that effect. Yeah. What is everyone? I'm just curious. You know, I have, I've been listening a lot in this conversation because it is good to, I don't know, do more reflection, uh, at least from my end at the point where I am at. So I was curious what other people thought about LBEs. Oh, someone left. Yeah, we lost Ian for a second, but he's back now. Oh, there we go. You're talking about lo- location-based experiences, yeah, and that sort of thing. So we do, um, we do, we work, we work pretty closely with Springboard, right? Which is now owned by Vertigo Games, and and they represent a large majority of all the VR arcades. Um, you know, their platform for licensing out games and and keeping track of times and that sort of thing. Um, so every issue we put in an article about, you know, LBEs and what they're doing to kind of, uh, especially, especially going through the pandemic, right. What, what kind of, what kind of pivots they had to make to kind of stay in business and, and, and keep things going. Um, and you know, for, for me personally, um, it, it would be really hard sell for me to, to, uh, invest or, or want to start an LBE right now. Um, however, I think there's a big difference between uh, people just putting their own VR arcades and then companies um, that are that are putting together experiences. You know, like when you go to a premium LBE and you can try out the new Far Cry game, or you know, back when 
um, the voids had all their voids up and, and, and kind of those, those premium VR experiences. I think those hold a lot of, yeah, those hold, yeah, those hold a lot of validity and and, and value. Um, but I think just standalone VR arcades, I, I think they're great, but as VR becomes more accessible and more affordable, I think it's kind of a hard, unless you have a specific uh, community or a specific way to keep those guys coming back, I think it's it's going to become a, a little bit of a harder sell. As, as, you know, as, as time goes on, you know, you know, we all used to go to Target to play N64 and, and, and uh, <laughs> PlayStation when we couldn't afford one. And then as they became more affordable, we all had one. You notice that there's none of those demo type units at stores like that anymore um, because there's just no de- need for them. I, I, I feel like um, the LBE uh, might, might head that way in the future. I, I still see value from a party perspective and, and holding events. And I think that's really where they really, where they, they can kind of um, flourish is, is if you get a lot of these LBs that hold um, weekly events and they hold leagues, kind of like a bowling alley, you know, where you go there every week and you know you're playing a game against another team and, um, you know, kind of kind of fostering that sort of community. Um, but I think the LBE has a, a lot of evolution to go through um, to kind of establish themselves as, as uh, I guess, something that's... Uh, um, a little more, a little more viable in the long run with as quickly as VR is right now, you know, anyway, as quickly as it's evolving with new headsets and new gear and new games and that sort of stuff. And that's my personal, that's my, my, my personal take on it. I, I have a local VR arcade that I still, um, it just got kicked off, but maybe not. Yeah. Um, the only one I've been to more than once is actually a, an arena VR experience where they took over a whole department store that had been abandoned and they turned it into almost like this football field size uh, first person shooter arena game. And it was amazing that leagues and championships and we, uh, we actually formed teams. It was like ultimate first being college. You'd actually go and practice, which was a ton of fun. Um, but I've never done that before. And I don't really see a whole lot of other opportunities to do that for standard games. And when it yeah. comes to VR arcades, like they, I think we we saw the same thing that happened in China when they they got huge. You couldn't anywhere at any mall and not see a VR arcade. And then a couple of years ago when I went, I went to go look for a few, and there were like two in the whole city because yeah. people realized yeah, we don't need this. Like we, we we can do this at home. Yeah, I think the large scale LBs is where is where it's at right now because that does offer a unique experience. And there are some companies, you know, like. Um, like Ryan from Space Pirate Trainer, their 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 um, arena game that's coming out um, will kind of give users at home the ability to to emulate that um, on the Quest, which is which is going to be amazing if you haven't had opportunity to kind of look and, and learn about that. It's it's pretty incredible what what he was able to do. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think those premium experiences. Like I mentioned, we're like the Far Cry experience that you can only try in these large scale um, LBE arenas. I think that's where, um, you know, kind of that's where that premium experience lies. And those guys have a little bit more foot to stand on because there is nowhere else you can go to capture yeah. that top content. You can't go play Far Cry anywhere except for these locations, um, you, you know, and, and, you know, there is a, like a Star Wars one. And there's there's all these different ones that are that are coming out that are premium um, to a, to a certain, to a certain, um, arena. And unless you're in a location, you know, where you can just drive and go try that, there's no, like, there's no way for me to play Far Cry unless I fly to Los Angeles or or somewhere that has, you know, the setup for it. And, um, 
and that that stuff excites me because like think about the premium experiences that <laughs> that haven't came out yet that are going to come out and they're going to become really premium where it's like hey here's a franchise here's a vr experience in a large space but if you want to have this experience you're going to pay for it and you have to get here to do it um i i, I think that adds a little bit of exclusivity and i think <laughs> deep down people really like that say they got to try something that not a lot of people got to try um you know, so I definitely see the value in in that sort of thing, uh, but yeah, it's it's always interesting to see just kind of how that how that um, how that industry industry is going to unfold. I would almost argue though that that's um, it's self defeating to some degree. I mean, you know, when you think about you know VR arcades, location based stuff. I mean, there's there's you guys mentioned a couple of different use cases and examples. You know, from the big premium experience. Um, you know, it's like the old battle tech arenas, you know, back in the day or, or, you know, more importantly, it's like going to Disneyland, right? You're going to pay a lot of money. You're going to go have a fun experience, but you're limited in terms of what your throughput is per day. So there's already like a money revenue cap on it, which now makes the business model a little questionable unless you've got a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. And then even like with the voids, you got to keep reinvesting to you know, switch up the experience to people, get people coming back. But you're vastly limiting your, your overall market size because you are so premium and, and you know, you can only go to this place or this place. But on a smaller scale, with like regular VR arcades, I mean, this this is kind of where, where I guess I cut my teeth. You know, in the early, early, early days, I was working on pretty much the first multi-user VR arcade game. And, you know, we sold them like hotcakes for a long time. But, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of issues back in those days with... In the hardware or people, you know, sweating in them and, you know, again, throughput and other sort of stuff. And kind of now, you know, arcades are still flopping around and maybe you've got even busters or whatever. But I think these almost kind of need to be rethought a little bit. You know, let's take a little bit of the arcade, a little bit of the net cafe, a little bit of your local gaming store. Let's all go and play kind of kind of at the same time, build in some esports sort of stuff. I, I think you have to have multiple experiences or capabilities and again supported with like you guys said you know some leagues or some events or some other things but yeah. did you guys notice that walmart all the walmarts they had like a, a few hundred walmarts integrate a um a esports gaming space within their within their stores yeah well, so, well the, the, no. the, 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 yeah, this is where all right, i think things are going where you know there's the expanded experiences and then on top of that too if you think about or where I like to think about, you know, this this metaverse stuff is is ultimately going. I think there's going to be a point in time where we're going to have, you know, 3D scanning booths, you know, kind of at places like VR arcades where I can go in and get that full body scan and get a more customized avatar or some other sort of sort of standard. I know a few places have kind of tried this already, but there's just not the the platform for it. Maybe they're not not adoption yet. But I think at some point in the future, you know, just like you might go to the mall and. You get your glamour shots. You know you're probably going to go and you know get a, get a an get avatar, 3D avatar scan. Yeah, I did that at the Holodeck in Seattle, and it was it was an amazing experience, and it was a lot quicker than I thought it would be. You know, it, mm-hmm. the process itself took you know ten minutes maybe. You know, and then it just you know renders things out, spits out an FBX. Now you can then import into you know VR chat or or whatever. But yeah, I think that's going to be. I, yeah, I think that's huge. And, and there were companies that were doing that. What was that company that um, that Paris Hilton that Paris Hilton started, or like, uh, 
Apple was a big investor in, and they were trying to 3D scan all the big celebrities that you could then buy and then use within VR. Um, Staramba. Do you guys remember that? Uh, no, no, but I like oh. that. Oh, gosh, man. Um, yeah, they created a big, a big platform where you could go and buy, like, famous soccer players, right? And you could buy a 3D perfect scan of them to use however you want. And um, I, I don't – I used to hear about it all the time. Um, and then they just I, – I don't know if they're still there. I think they <sighs> – they went, yeah, 2018 was the last real post I can see from them. Um, yeah, they create 3D avatars um, that you can shop with and, and, and use. But anyway, um, so I think companies are doing this. I, I think we're still at that point in VR. And I said this, like, I say this all the time because I always reference, like, games and experiences and companies that started four or five years ago in VR that it's just still ahead of its time, right? The tech's there. The usability is not there, and like people don't know how to utilize it. The app, sorry, the average consumer doesn't know how to utilize it quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just doesn't have you know that use use case. Like when VReal was a company, um, VReal was doing something really amazing in VR that I thought was going to change <laughs> the way people create content in virtual reality. Um, but there just wasn't enough people who understood the value of it and understood its full capabilities. And you know they're no longer they're no longer a thing, you know, and, and, and we've seen a lot of VR companies come and go because they create these ideas and experiences, but they're just a little too ahead of their time for the average user. Yeah. That, that's the, uh, the ultimate metaverse curse though, isn't it? Being too early. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so going oh. for about an hour and a half. I don't know if there are any other uh, questions or pieces people want to address. I know, Dev, you were kind of chiming in right before I started going on. Right, yeah, because this is wrapping up. Um, yeah, so I'm going to give my summary of thoughts. Um, so in, in contrast to some of the discussion here, I'm extremely pro NFT and NFT as a stepping stone and NFT as a utility. It's really critical. So the way I look at it is I'm about to drive to Southern California from uh, San Francisco Bay Area, and all I have to do is NFT my trip, and it'll pay for my gas. So I, I'm a little bit more hyper-focused in perhaps the utility that this brings. Um, so that's a, maybe in contrast to some of the statements here that I was hearing, but but I, I do still subscribe to some of the, the ethos of the, those statements. And then, uh, the, the, okay, so these are the last summary thoughts. Um, I think that with respect to LBEs, I think you can outsource your uh, uh, cap, you know, it's CapEx intensive to have haptics. So you can basically, not outsource, but basically you, the price, the unit economics works very well when uh, you have, you know, because it's a, it, it's a reoccurring revenue stream, right? So you, because you're not, they're not, they don't leave with any of the equipment. You can just basically, you've um, got the right economics term or financial term, but shift off that cost to the consumer per consumer per day per month, right? So that's what I think LBEs bring with respect to haptics. And then there was one last comment I had. Um, I'm, and then so bullish on NFTs, bearish on volumetric and what was featured at the developer conference at Apple. I think that that was kind of a smoke show of like, oh, well, we tried. To me, it was like a false shoulder. It was like, ah, well, we don't really care to, to do all of the feature set that XR can provide. We'll just give you this like photogrammetry, like, uh, like hors d'oeuvre that is like kind of like... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, like we'll, just, <laughs> we'll just crush the apps that already do that in our app store, which is what they did with, uh, you know, tile and, and uh, the air tag. So I looked at it actually, I was pretty negative on uh, the photogrammetry aspect of this conversation. So I was just trying, trying to uh, break down my thinking for the whole hour and a half. Uh, I'm, I'm jumping after <laughs> uh, Michael finishes. No, it's all, it's all good. Um, you know, everybody's allowed to have their different ideas. You would have been welcome to chime in and offer uh, any dissenting thoughts at any point, realistically. At any rate, to your point, uh, go ahead. <laughs> to your point about the the uh, the photogrammetry, I I feel you on. So th this is where I'd love to have a conversation because it'd be really fun to have two opposing perspectives. I think that always makes a panel super fun and interesting. Mm -hmm. There's nothing this worse is, than a panel of everybody saying. Yeah, there's, there's nothing more boring than a panel of, yeah, I agree with they, with what they said, and then silence. Um, do you, so, Doug, uh, Ken, this, to your point about kind of like the wah-wah, like everybody really is hoping for uh, volumetric video and things like that. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I think there's still a ways away before Apple figures that out to make it part of the platform. But the reason I'm actually bullish on the photogrammetry portion is, yes, it is. They are killing some apps uh, that are already doing that. But it, it, to me, it goes far beyond that. The photogrammetry workflow, for those who aren't really familiar with it, is pretty arduous. Like, there's a lot to learn um, that it does simplify, and then it also makes it possible to uh, implement photogrammetry within other apps, too. So I can actually start to incorporate that within an app that I'm developing that may allow you to start to... Damn it. Did we lose you? To start to... Uh, when he comes back... Mm -hmm. Oh. Damn it! <laughs> uh, I wanted to hear that. <laughs> he'll he'll pop back out, I imagine. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you came in and uh, joined us and talked a little bit and offered some of your thoughts. Um, I I actually do like the art side of the NFT stuff, the smart contract, um, content distribution, monetization opportunities that are afforded by that. I'm completely in support of all of it. I just don't like some of the, the hype aspects um, that pushed so much attention uh, towards just like a narrow subset of players. Isn't that, uh, but it's, it's, it's still in line with the Gardner hype cycle curve, right? Oh, so, I so I don't I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like kind of like, okay, whatever. That's a Gardner hype cycle happening in real life in time. So I, I shirk it off or I shrug it off. Well, I got to jump, so Ian just see y'all. Yeah. He uh, did? Oh, okay. <laughs> Do you finish what you were saying, Ian? Yeah, as I was saying, so like you'd be able to, let's say uh, there's an opportunity for you to implement something in the game. You go and you find, and you scan whatever object it's going to be. It could be how a loaf of bread for the table for fruit spread or something. It could be a stool, whatever it's going to be, something that's close by you, and then you can incorporate that into the experience. Um, that could just be one of a billion different applications to it. So I think that what it's done is it's extended the availability of photogrammetry just like one layer closer to the consumer, um, more so than it created this, you know, a, a massively new tool set. And I, I think that if I could, if I'm right, that's where I sense your disappointment was, which I completely agree with you. I think there's more that they could have done in terms of where they took that and they chose not to. 
Um, but I do see some really interesting utility around what developers will now be able to do with that stuff. Okay, that's pretty cool. I just became slightly less bearish. Maybe let's say whatever the medium is between a bull and a bear. Let's say, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, a Blair. <laughs> um, so, okay, so I like that democratization and lowering accessibility. Uh, lowering accessibility, I really like that. And then uh, play to earn, I think, was somewhere in what you were saying. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Um, so nice. I get to be less bearish. <laughs> I got to jump. <laughs> Cheers. We'll, uh, Cheers. we'll wrap it up for today. I do appreciate everybody coming and hanging out for uh, this Father's Day Sunday afternoon to talk. Uh, a little bit about crypto and a little bit about extended reality and the different projects that you guys are offering everyone. Do you want to say yeah, thanks me? for inviting us together? Yeah, thanks. Really. Thanks guys. For sure. Well, I appreciate it. And, um, you can look for us across the web. I will distribute this on, um, the, the audio format in a week or so.